Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Right now, in this moment, for me as I sit here, the most important thing is that we actually have a a community and a group to practice together and um, unpack these truths, live these truths, find meaning deep in the truths of the Dharma, and to really... um, have this holding environment, this beautiful space to do the work of mindfulness, sitting, walking, awareness itself. Um, Without a community, not much can happen. This is where we really get to deepen and live fully the teachings. So it's very precious to have a room of beings, to have all of you to practice with. And I can't thank you enough and have enough gratitude to have community like this locally, um, to, to just dive into the Dharma. You know, so many things you can dive into. Barnes and Noble, Nordstrom's, and, I don't know, Bed Bath and & Beyond, and all these things we can dive into, but it's very precious to have a place to really um, deepen and unpack the, the truth of who we are. So um, I had to say that, really felt that. It's a beautiful thing. So I want to go back to the talk from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and um, particularly, I've been looking at the work of Ajahn Sumedho. I don't know, some of you may know him. But he was one of the um, first um, American people to go to Burma, Thailand, uh, 40 or 50 years ago and sit with the masters there, particularly Ajahn Chah. And he studied um, in this part of the world for many, many years and then um, opened the first Western monastery in England. And he was also here for many years. And he's a great teacher. Um, And one of the phrases that he coined was practicing intuitive awareness, which we talked about last time. And so I wanted to go back to that, um, to some of his teachings on intuitive awareness. And um, he's talking about that state of mind before you had the thought of who you think you are, right? That clear comprehension, just that clear, open, beautiful, beautiful space. Um, And uh, he says it's a worthwhile practice that it's just that freedom of the mind um, from the typical things that hinder us on and off the cushion. And the last time, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about what those things are, the hindrances that come up that um, make meditation difficult sometimes. Some of you may have been experiencing that this morning, yeah? And off the cushion, when we're just practicing mindfulness, And so um, the list is 
sense desire, wanting, wanting mind, um, aversion or ill will. I don't like what's happening and I don't want it right now. Does anybody have any aversion to their sitting practice today? Yeah. Um, dullness and lethargy, low energy, sleepiness, worry and agitation, uh, and doubt. So these are the things that get in the way when we're meditating and they also get in the way when we're trying to establish a mindfulness practice of just being in stillness, being with the present moment, being grounded in the body and here, and not having this comparative mind, this critical mind chattering at us. It's a state we all want and desire, and desire can get in the way of it, right? Um, But we need to also look at the things that get in the way of the way. So so I want to talk a little bit about the hindrances and then hopefully talk about um, mindfulness, mindful awareness, intuitive awareness versus that conceptual mind, that thinking mind and try to define that a little bit more. So um, for me, all I have to do is step out into my garden to know the hindrances. Uh, Last year, I really worked hard at um, ripping up the grass in this big yard and creating a zeroscape, but a zeroscape that blooms and has beautiful color um, but the intent was to practice mindfulness, walking to have a walking meditation garden. It was to walk outside and um, just be. And what I noticed is being in this garden and walking outside with setting this intention for mindfulness, um, I can see all the hindrances arising, just like the blooms on the plants the different colors. They're just visiting me. They're little friends that visit. And they really get in the way of being in the garden here now, this moment, in the body fully, just with beautiful nature as it unpacks. And I find that really fascinating. And some of it's subtle, some of it's really loud. Um, So I can walk out and just have this craving and desire for more purple flowers. I need more purple flowers, and I need them to bloom now and not ever die off them, but, and, and just proliferate the garden. I just want to see purple flowers all the time, right? Do we have a mind like that that just wants the beautiful, that wants the bloom, um, doesn't want the flower shriveling and dying, doesn't want the flower with the snails eat, right? The flower that won't open, we want the bloom, right? This is desire. And we're caught in that. As a matter of fact, sometimes our consciousness is just this wanting. It's like the wanting glasses. You know, I want the perfect garden. And I want no weeds, no bugs to eat things, no weeds. And I don't want dead leaves. And I don't want some plants taking over and blocking others. A lot like our lives. I want the good life. I want the life my mind has labeled good. And the Buddha says there's, there's just a lot of suffering in that. Yeah? So um, ill will and aversion is um, 
I see it in the garden. I don't like the design of this garden. I don't like the person that helped me design it. Why did she put that plant there? Why is that tree there? Why is that blocking that? You know, why isn't it perfect? It's not a perfect garden. I wanted a perfect garden. And you can see this aversion just come up like the weeds come up in the garden. They just grow. The aversion just grows without knowing it and seeing it. And again, it can be a pair of glasses. It colors. It colors our view. It colors our consciousness. So you can walk around with aversion consciousness. Now, I personally must admit that sometimes I really like aversion consciousness because I like my point of view, even when it's mm. kind of critical. Like, I'm, I'm really um, attached to it in some way. You know, my opinion. Mm. My opinion counts. It might be ruining my day, but it counts, <laughs> you know? Um, the dullness and the lethargy of walking in this garden and just walking the path of just when the mind is so um, daydreamy and out of it, you know, that spaced out? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I can't see the beauty of this garden, this amazing plant life that grows and the butterflies and the hummingbirds and the different birds and bugs. I mean, wow. But sometimes we're dull. The mind is kind of just, we're just checked out. Um, and you know when you've hit that checkout place in your life, you're just tuned out, just checked out. And here's my um, favorite one in the hindrances, um, worry and agitation. And I, I feel like um, sometimes mothering, for those of you who have children, like you, the minute you have that child, there's that clinging to the safety of this child. But for all of us, there's uh, this layer of what's next? How can I ward off the bad? What can I do to make the bad not happen? And I'm bad if I can't make the bad not happen. You know, this viewing life through the lens of um, persistent problem solving towards um, making everything okay. I have to make everything okay. And everything has to be okay for me to be okay. And if it's not okay, I'm not okay, right? We play that one. We don't even know we're playing that one. Um, and that's one I play a lot. Um, and um, the one I want to explore a little bit today is just doubt. Um, those of us who who practice mindfulness, but we have very good cognitive, analytical, intellectual minds. We're well-educated, or we're good problem solvers, or we like facts, or we've built that business on it, we've gotten that PhD on it, or we wrote our career on it, or we're just good at telling everybody what to do. You know, we, we live in this conceptual mind, this analytical, factual mind. It's like a security and a refuge, and it can be, um, Really, when you start mindfulness practice, it could almost be oppressive to get out of that box of thinking to solve the world, thinking to solve me. It's a challenge for mindfulness, you know? And very often what happens is we subtly doubt the capacity to not be in the mind, to have a still mind. We doubt that that has some validity and that that's a place 
that has value. So walking in this garden, right, walking in the garden, um, I can feel me wanting to, I'm walking, I'm doing mindfulness meditation, walking, but I can feel this pull to want to solve the next problem in my life. What should I say at that meeting? How should I write that memo? Um, what's another project? Oh, I should do another class here, right? You know, and not wanting to drop the solving of the problem to just being in the garden. Have you been there with that, right? So there's this doubt, <coughs> this moment-by-moment moment doubt that hinders being here. The subtle doubt. I can't drop my problem-solving mind. I've got to figure it out, especially around a problem or something scary, right? I have to think about it to solve it. You see the doubt on the other side of that? As if something else couldn't solve it. So uh, in case at this point of our dialogue, right? Well, I'm the one having the dialogue, but we will be dialoguing <laughs> soon. Um, there might be a critical mind even thinking this. Oh my god, I do that. Oh, this, you know, right? Yeah. Just what the Buddha says about this is, um, Intuitive awareness is partly not having an eye when these hindrances come, when these things come, because they come all the time. Um, and in Burma and Thailand, they call it friendly cousins. You know, it's my friendly cousin that's visiting. It's not that they don't come. They come because it's the nature of mind, of not just your mind, but all minds, every mind we're born with this condition. So it's a condition of being. It's like breathing. It's like having that rose, you have that thorn. And by intuitive awareness really means, and um, Jack Cornfield likes to call it kind awareness. In kind awareness. <coughs> um, in our class, we're talking about taking refuge of, in awareness, right? Finding the peace and the safety almost in awareness. Um, it's not that you're stomping it out or annihilating it or saying, oh my God, there I am, I'm in aversion again. You know, oh no, doubt, doubt, oh, I'm so dumb, doubt, worry, right? It's the awareness that holds everything that arises, everything of the mind every little dark thought and cranny, every little tiny spider and spider web, holds it with equanimity and with some peace and calm, with ease, mm. and sees it as something arising and passing. And it doesn't have to have a name on it, like Wendy or John, right? Or Dawn, right? It doesn't have to have a name, it's a condition. And Ajahn Sumedho likes to say, oh, it's just like this, just like this, which I don't quite connect with. But what I do connect with is um, the compassion of being human, even in those moments that are cranky, you know, and con contracted. Um, and if I can bring my heart to that contracted place, this non-judgmental awareness, this beautiful open field of awareness, 
then I just get to rest with it. You know, it just rests. Um, and there's no need to have that extra suffering. Yeah? Mm -hmm. No need to suffer on it. It hasn't become a self-view about me. And the biggest suffering we tend to do, um, from what I hear, is that um, we, it goes into a deficiency, a deficient me. I'm not enough. My mindfulness isn't enough. My consciousness is not enough. So um, intuitive awareness, it's like the open hand. You know, I'm not identified. I'm just seeing what gets in the way of being in the garden, you know, and really being there in that moment. Just like the birds, the bees, the hummingbirds, and all the bugs and the ants and everything else, it's all a condition that's held. So, um, so let's talk a little bit more about um, this intuitive understanding versus conceptual understanding. Or in the Eightfold Path, we call it right understanding. So just even the practice of knowing what is the analytical thinking and intuitive awareness, just getting that sense of that. What, the, the, what I like to think about, what comes to mind for me, is when I'm walking in the nature center. Have you all been in the nature center? There's this amazing big pond that you walk into, and it's such a relief get in Long Beach to see this beautiful nature hit you. And there are always a lot of kids on this little bridge that you walk over the bridge of the pond to get on the trail. And generally, it's because there are a lot of turtles sunny there. They're just laying there in the sun. It's real cute, you know? And the ducks are there. And you just hear these children squealing. And you see them squealing with delight. They're like, ah, ah. You know, I like to call that intuitive awareness, right? They're in the moment. They're with that turtle, right? Their mind is not going anywhere, right? They're just feeling the absolute joy of that moment. They're there. You see their bodies lit up with energy. They've got all the spiritual factors going. Energy, mindfulness, investigation, joy, um, right? They're just present. And um, I'll walk past the turtle, right? And my mind will go, I like to do this more often. How can I change my schedule to get here more often? Because I really need to be in nature, so maybe I can move my 10 o'clock. Maybe I can take, oh, oh, I think my friend Zoe would like to go. Let me call Zoe, and we can go and figure this out, right? And just, maybe I should support the nature center. Maybe I should write a check. I think I need a pass to the nature center. I would really like better hiking boots. If I'm going to hike here, I think I've got to go and get a good pair of hiking. I need a snack. Oh, where is my water? I left it in the car. Right? And then I'll look at the turtles. I really would like to know how old that turtle gets. Do they have to give the turtles? Is there a vet that takes care of the turtles? I mean, the, and it, right? Do you do, right? Okay, yeah. So that's an example of um, intuitive awareness versus conceptual understanding. Right? You got it? I love it. Kids just have it naturally. They don't know that they have it, you know, and the good news is we have it. <laughs> but for us, we, we have to take that, in Zen, we say that backward step and find that pathway back 
And that's what Ajahn Sumedho is talking about in his beautiful teachings and writings. Um, another example of, um, of intuitive awareness versus conceptual understanding is um, just being at the ocean. If you want to know what the ocean is, right, you can read every book about There's a 10 million books on the ocean, but you don't know the ocean until you just swim in it, right? That's a different knowing. It's just swimming in the ocean, and you could never touch swimming in the ocean by reading a book about the ocean, right? The same thing with a good restaurant, or, or just a, you know, you want to taste what... Um, uh, Ethiopian food is like, right? Um, you could read about the restaurant, you could read the menu, but until you taste the food, you don't know what the food is. So you see the quality of intuitive awareness, already you can see what it is. It's body-based, it's in this moment, it's being with all the senses, right? It's being with all the senses, um, it's experiential, and the mind isn't chattering. You're just, you're with it. There's an intimacy. You're not separate from the experience. You're completely in the experience, like the ocean. So it's very simple. Uh, you don't have to get a PhD to understand it, right? That's the analytical mind. But what gets in the way is the mind wanting a PhD in the mind. Right? Is the mind wanting the encyclopedia? You know, it wants to Google it, right? <laughs> what are the steps to intuitive awareness? <laughs> Step one feel your body. <laughs> As the mind will always say, How do I do this? And very often, a lot of times when you don't want to meditate, it's because your mind wants. Not only does it want the manual that your mind will stop. Tell me how to get my mind to stop. How? How? This is the mind. How do I get silent? Right? What do I do? Okay. Take deep breaths. Play music. Think of nothing. <laughs> right? And then your view comes in. Oh, my God. You can't ever think of nothing. <laughs> right? And you give yourself an F on mindfulness. <laughs> and then you go, I just don't have time to meditate in the morning. I'm too busy. No, you're afraid of your mind. You know, you're, I think sometimes it's the mind that wants to know the mind, right? And um, Ajahn Sumedho calls that um, Sakaya Diti, the self-view that we have, right? A good example of a self-view, a, a simple example of, uh, in my living room, we have two big mirrors at the end of the, this room. And um, it's a challenge to just look in the mirror, right? To look in the mirror. And not only when I look in that mirror, I, don't, I see myself, but I see the room. Kind of cool, right? A self-view is... Uh, this judging analytical thing that happens right away. I'm a body, I'm a windy, I'm a certain age, I'm a certain weight. For most of us who are female, that one comes up first. You know, I look, I have wrinkles, right? I have brown hair. It's a self-referencing, and it's not just a self-referencing, it's evaluative. I really need to lose 
five pounds now, you know, right? I really need to do this to my hair. I really need a different pair of glasses, right? I, I should whiten my teeth, right? I need to dress differently. You see, this is, your eye makes you, <coughs> contact you have a concept of you. That concept of you is a thought of <coughs> self-view. We don't realize that. We don't have the mindfulness there. So we get very lost in the story of who we're telling ourselves we think we are, right? And there's a lot of suffering in it. We don't look okay, we don't make enough money, we're not kind enough, we didn't solve that problem enough, we should have done something differently in our career, we wouldn't be here. Um, the house needs to be different, the mortgage should be different, and it goes on and on and on. See, but the mindfulness, again, intuitive awareness is the knowing that you're in that analytical story of yourself. And as we do that, we're, we're framing ourselves. We're building this structure that's painful, it's hard, it's constricting, it's hard to get out of. So as opposed to looking in the mirror and just looking without an identification of who's looking, Awareness is looking in the mirror. There isn't this fixed view of who I think I am looking. And, and the other issue is the doubt. The doubt that comes up is, does that have value? Does that have value? You know, because a lot of us don't believe in the core of us that that doesn't have, we don't feel it's valid unless we're describing it, analyzing it, and evaluating it as good or bad. Do you get that? You know? Until we have an opinion, it isn't real. So what do we value? Awareness, looking, who's looking? And what's the frame that you're looking in? Can you look without the value judgment, or without a story, or without a comment, right? Without you telling you something about you or anybody else? Right? We love that stuff. I love that stuff. Right? So the doubt is about doubting that this is something of value. And actually, the Buddha um, tells us, and many teachers who have come and gone, awareness itself is the refuge. That ability to look at who's looking, right? To just be present with what's arising without the judging, without that this is good and that's bad. Oh, you look great today. That sweater looks so good. Blue is your color. You should do your hair like that. Put that kind of loose on, right? Right? Don't eat that. Right? All that stuff that we do, right? When that drops away, that's the way. That that's a place of refuge. That's a place to be cultivated or a state to be cultivated. Something worth valuing, yeah? something worth allowing, of something to let in, something to let in. And that we can relax into it, just being here, just now, just knowing now. It's an act of faith, just this. Just this, just my foot in the garden, just seeing. 
So we can really begin to contemplate this as um, practicing awareness, intuitive awareness with some faith, with some value, or with some doubt. Because that, you know, I don't really think there's wrong with an analytical mind. Uh, we need analytical mind. The last time I bought a car, we did a lot of studying about, you know, what's the best car and consumer reports and what's the best interest rate, and, you know, how many miles per gallon and what are the emissions. It, it's good to have that kind of analytical mind that can do that, especially for big decisions. But uh, it's not the only show in the road. It's not the only show. Yeah. I am having a hard time understanding uh, intuitive awareness or non-conceptual awareness versus what you were talking about lethargy before. So how do you know when? How do you know when you're present in presence without judgment versus being having a lazy mind? Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, that, thank you, that's a good one. So basically, uh, this is kind of where the faith comes in, that awareness becomes your teacher. The practice becomes the teacher. Experience becomes the teacher. Um, and the more we rest in awareness or turn to awareness and... Um, this is why they say make friends with the hindrances so that you wake up and you can actually wake up into a lazy mind or a sleepy mind or a dull mind and go, ah, oh, dull mind, sleepy mind, not with criticism, you know, not like dull mind, wake up, you know, not like that, not sleepy mind, snap out of it, you know, right? Not like that, but you can literally wake up and see the state as a state. And remember, when we wake up into it, we see it coming and going. <coughs> it's passing. It's not us. Um, and that comes with the practice. And we're, I'm still practicing with you, you know, is that the more we can, we're in awareness and we see the hindrance, we're not merged with the hindrance, right? So foggy mind, right? If you can know your mind is foggy, then that's one step back from it already. Right? If you're not judging it or identifying with it, it's one step back. And I know it's really a wonderful experience. Some of you may have had this um, where you're on a meditation retreat or you're doing a day long, which is why I love the day longs, you know, and the longer, and you did the long retreat. Um, and you start to get sleepy after a day of meditating. It's, it's strenuous in a funny kind of way, right? And the mind starts to nod out and get foggy, but the awareness is there watching the mind get foggy. And it's an amazing experience. It's really cool because you just, you're watching it. You're watching sleep. And it's, wow, it's like, ah, awareness holds everything. Mm -hmm. Another great moment when you're practicing, if we're lucky enough, is to practice mindfulness during a rage attack. 
that is wild. <laughs> it is wild. Uh, I think, I think I've, I've said this before. There was a Friday, like 4 o'clock. You know, I've been working so hard. Friday was hard. Monday, through, you know, it's just tired. You're in that weekend mind. And one of my colleagues at work, she just said the wrong thing at <laughs> the wrong moment. It was like, I just felt my body, it was like wildfire in a dry summer, you know, like a match in a dry forest. I just watched my body go... <laughs> You know, wow. it was really wild. Like every part of my body, it was just fire. You know, and I felt the fangs come out, and I was getting ready. To, you know, I was really going in for the vicious attack on her. I mean, really, I could just feel myself really want to take her down. You know, verbally, not physically. <laughs> and uh, I had to watch that. I had to sit with the forest fire inside. It was like there was a forest fire raging in there. It was wild to watch that. And and the more I could sit with it and just watch my body, the adrenaline, the tension, my muscles, just, I almost had, there's almost like a biting quality, the, my head going whoppa whoppa. It was great. It was great experience, so valuable to watch that. It was awesome. It was like, wow, this is nature. This is what people, happens to the body before it has to defend itself. You know, there are other times in the world when you get that rageful, something awful is happening, you might have to take somebody down or fight or, you know, defend or, right? Put out a fire, right? It was amazing to watch the body go in that place and not do anything. Which brings me to, perhaps, we'll see, the practice becomes the path and the light the literal being with it and the experience is your teacher. Um, the experience shows you what gets in the way of the way, right? Uh, and it shows you what's the self-view and what's the thinking mind versus the being with. Um, so I'll, I'll give you one example and then we're going to stop. He said so many wonderful things and I'll read some of the things he said. One of the examples he gives is um, if you're a monk, this might be a reason why I may never be a monk to tell you the truth, but we'll see, is um, you get a bowl in Thailand and Burma, you get a bowl for food, and Tom is nodding, and you go on a walk, and the villagers put the food in the bowl, okay? And it's not your bowl. Okay, think about this. Think about your lunchtime or your dinner time. I'm already having anxiety, worry, and agitation, just contemplating this. Then they take these bowls, right, that people have cooked. That's how you live as a monk. The village feeds you. All over India, too, I would imagine, right? And then you take this bowl, and you put it in one big bowl, and they mix it up. <laughs> and that's your food for the day, folks, right? Whatever they put in there. Uh-huh, yeah. I mean, forget about food allergies, right? You know. <laughs> or like, you know, I'm a vegan, right? And, and by the way, he says that if you're a vegetarian, you can forget it because they'll put anything in there. You know, you have to accept it or you're going to be hungry, and those are your choices. So why talk about this example? Well, this is where we're, do, we're going with cultivating intuitive awareness or awareness as a refuge is um, 
look cushy us. You know, we want the gluten-free, vegan, fresh-grown, locally, <laughs> right, grass-fed, you know, low-calorie co cookies. cookies, right, sugar, <laughs> me too, I want chocolate, you know. Um, but this is life. We want life to be the way we want it. We, call, we, we romance the pleasant all the time, knowing very well that you can't just have pleasant. But in our mind somewhere, we really want the pleasant, and that would mean we were successful and smart if we could create the most pleasant life for us, right? That nothing bad happens. That would show that we were pretty cool people. We were really, we had it together. We knew, right? We were wise, right? That's how we live our lives. Cultivating the pleasant in every moment. I want comfortable clothes. I want clothes that look good, you know, right? I want more of the good clothes. I want you to see me in the nice clothes. Like, come on. Okay, so we're always doing that. And, um, but life is not like that at all. It has a lot of unpleasant um, in it and a lot of difficult. And um, we're running and reacting. Pleasant, more and more, difficult, push, push, no, no, fighting with it, telling, you know, and we're not, we're suffering. So the intuitive awareness, the practice of this awareness is really the opportunity to what Ajahn Sumedho says, you know, you can be with that bowl of food, or you could be telling a lot of stories about the food. You're developing an equanimity to receive whatever life throws at you and still be okay, relatively, right? To still be balanced with it and at ease and at peace. That's not bad. That's something to cultivate. And not only that, he goes one step further, which we don't talk about, and we're going to stop in a minute, which is um, you cultivate this thing that we don't like this word in America too much, dispassion. We want to be passionate about everything. We want to love everything, right? But there's some beauty in being with things as they are and not having so much desire around it, yeah? That's called dispassion. Um, and this is the fruit of the practice of intuitive awareness, of mindfulness practice, that we can cultivate equanimity and dispassion. And there's freedom there to just eat what's in the bowl. Right? So we'll stop right here. Well, actually, I'll tell you some of, let me read a little bit of, of his instructions. And you can actually close your eyes for this. Give yourself a few minutes. So this is from the words of Ajahn Sumedho. Develop trust in yourself. Just noticing. Just noticing right now, being here right now. Relaxed and resting in a kind, open way. 
allowing yourself to just be at ease right now with whatever is arising. Nothing that you have to do but developing a trust in this moment, in your awareness of this moment. Relaxed, open, and present. You don't have to, or get to, or know more. You're not a project. You don't have to grab onto this or achieve anything. But returning, a kind of letting go and allowing, an allowing of peace and ease. Right from the center of your own being, recognizing that natural state before we create ourselves again. With loving kindness, with presence, with sweet open awareness, we return to the center again and again. So the, the questions I leave you with for you to contemplate for yourself, what is a natural being state for you? What brings you into presence? And what is the analytical mind for you? What's your experience of that? And what gets in the way for you? You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.